0: Our text this morning is from John 10, 1 through 5, and 11 through 18. You'll find this passage on on page 896 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd
1: We're continuing uh, a passage that I preached on a couple weeks ago before uh, heading to Japan with our mission team. And so we're, we're finishing this passage in John 10 today, covering the other half of the, or the other I Am statement that Jesus makes. And so um, uh, let me pray for us, and we'll take a look at uh, this passage together today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity... To teach your word, I pray this morning what I lack, which is everything you would fill, Lord, and that you would be the one who speaks, be the one who urges towards obedience, comforts us when we fall short. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be infused in the words that I speak today. This would not be about me, Lord, but we would learn and love and be drawn into the one who is the good shepherd. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, As a review, we talked last time about the I am statement, I am the door, and we talked about how this was a dividing statement. Jesus, in saying this, is saying there is no access to God. There's no access to the presence of God but through me, but through Jesus Christ. And, and we talked about how this is not an exclusive thing. This is not something that, that it's like a VIP area where if you have a certain level of resources, you can get in. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Only those with no resources can come in. It's good news for the needy. Good news for those who need Everything and this comes from the context in which Jesus is making these statements, and that context is the Pharisees' treatment of Jesus and the Pharisees' treatment of a man that Jesus healed. And so, to review this story, there was a man uh, whom the disciples and Jesus walked by, he had been blind since birth. And Jesus, uh, it's important to know this is on the Sabbath day, a day of holy rest uh, and worship. Jesus, uh, deciding to heal this man, spits into the dirt, makes some gross spit mud, and he rubs it in the dude's eyes, which seems really rude. But it ends up allowing him to see. Jesus miraculously heals him with his spit mud. And so um, this makes the Pharisees very angry, specifically because he had the audacity to make mud on the Sabbath. This violates one of their rules. And so there's this long interview process where they're trying to figure out what has happened. Um, And really what ends up happening is the blind man says, listen, I was healed. I could not see before. I see now. Obviously this man's from God. And they say, you who were born in sin would lecture us. And they cast him out. They cast him out of the synagogue. Jesus into that scenario where the man who had no resources being cast out enters this scenario and he's exposing in this scenario the disconnect and the disagreement of of the f- teaching of the Pharisees and the reality of true salvation Jesus is using the phrases I am the door and I am the good Shepherd to show the difference between how and what we are saved to according to the Pharisees and according to him and so Jesus in his saying I am the door divi- draws a dividing line and what we are saved to between what the Pharisees teach and what he teaches. The Pharisees are teaching a salvation that, that ends in reputation and acceptance into their club. That's what they believe salvation is. That's what they say you're getting saved to. Just answer the questions correctly and you can be one of us. You can stay in the club. Jesus is defining salvation differently. He says salvation is the peaceful presence of the Father. Safety, life, abundant So the remainder of the allegory doesn't speak to what, but how salvation occurs. How salvation occurs. So to stick with the context, we can understand what it means when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Let's start by looking at the Pharisees and and what their answer was to the question, how might we be saved? And the answer is performance, of course, based on their criteria. Performance. What they say to the blind man is if you answer these questions correctly, You must answer these questions correctly. You must follow the rules correctly. In fact, they end up exposing what they really think. You must be born correctly. That's how you're saved in their idea. And so if you do these things, then you can reach the salvation we're offering. You can be one of us. If not, you're out. You're out. As a side note for us, I want to mention that every search... Every search for satisfaction that's outside of Jesus Christ follows the formula for this kind of salvation. Every search for satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ follows this formula. Here's a couple of of examples. You could go with hundreds of of different examples, but these are two that I've chosen for this morning. So think about our career. Think about our career. If you do the right things at the right time, you demonstrate your strengths, And in fact, somehow you turn your weaknesses into strengths as well, right? If you do these things, what's going to happen? You'll be accepted, you'll be promoted, you'll be rewarded. Looking for satisfaction in that way is the same thing as saying, answer the questions correctly. Do the the right things correctly, be born correctly, and it will be well with you. think about relationships, not just romantic relationships, even relationships with friends or with children. If we can understand the things this other person needs, and we can deliver those things just at the right time and just in the right amount, they will be happy, I'll be happy, everybody will be happy. And sometimes you're the person who's demanding to, to receive those things. If you do that well enough. You do it correctly. You'll be loved, accepted, happy forever. And In fact, our our world teaches that if this relationship's not working out, guess what? Maybe the next one. Maybe the next one will work out just fine. So try it out. In these situations and many other that might be coming to your mind, there is a gatekeeper who must be impressed. There's a gatekeeper who is saying, show me what you got. Show me what you got. And, And Like a moth drawn to flame, we as feeble people, we really like this idea. We like this idea. We can see it in our movies. We can see it in our our stories, in our culture. We like the idea that we have what it takes to do the thing that becomes worth, becomes accepted. It's especially attractive to us because we know that's not true. We know it's not true. And in fact, I would say to think this way, that we have within us what is necessary to impress the gatekeeper of whatever thing we think is going to satisfy us, we have to accept. It's required to accept an illusion. And I'm going to call that this morning the pharisaical illusion. The pharisaical illusion. The pharisaical illusion is the denial of our true condition so that we can deny our need of Jesus. Denial of our true condition so that we don't need Jesus. We don't need anyone else to do something for us. You can see this in John 9, the end of John 9. So all this has gone on. The blind man healed. They send him out of the synagogue. Jesus has approached this man and he has said, listen, uh, you, you can believe in me. You don't have to do what they're saying. You can follow me. And here's what he says to the blind man. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who may see became, become blind. Now, some of the fairies near, Pharisees, not fairies, there are no fairies in the Bible. Um, hello! No, okay, so I'm going to stop right now. Um, I almost did this next part in a fairy voice, but I'm going to stop right now. Okay. Um, some of the Pharisees nearby heard him say these things, and they said, Are we also blind? There's the denial, the denial of their need. And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no guilt But now that you say, we see your guilt remains, what are the Pharisees doing? They're denying the fact that they need Jesus. And to do that, what do they have to do? They have to say, we don't need what he's offering. So we know more than he knows. We don't need the truth that he's speaking. We've got it all under control. We don't need you, Jesus. Are you saying we're blind? A formative book in my life, The Gift of Being Yourself, by a counselor named David Benner, says this about this idea in our lives. Between this public self that we present to the world and our actual true experience lays an enormous chasm. And he goes on to talk about the remedy for this, and he quotes John Calvin, who says, The whole of sacred doctrine... Consists in these two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. So we have to let this marinate for a moment, church. We have to let this idea sink in. Who is the person that we are presenting for acceptance in our jobs, on social media, in our relationships, at church? Who's that person that we are Are pretending to be hoping to be accepted and then the other question is who are we really what are we actually capable of or what are we incapable of I want to share just a vulnerability for a moment even pastors especially pastors do this pastors do this listen I have in my heart a strong temptation to present myself as someone who has deep, deep wisdom, expansive knowledge, that I, that I, uh, I have um, near perfect character, that I uh, have unlimited expertise, I'm never afraid, I never ha- have anxiety, and I have impeccable taste when I choose my clothes to preach in. Now, except for that last one, that person doesn't exist. Um, that person doesn't exist. Some of you are thinking, even the last one, Ransom, come on. Um, but I wear cardigans sometimes, okay? Um, listen, that person doesn't exist in any profession. Do you see this? That person doesn't exist anywhere. And yet what happens, not only are we trying to present ourselves as that person, we measure ourselves by that person. And so for a person like me, who doesn't match up to what I wish I was, these words of Jesus, I am the good shepherd, are exceptionally comforting. Exceptionally comforting. Because what I lack, I can rely on Christ, for the, on the one who does not lack. You see, the, the analogy uh, carries beyond just him. He's the good shepherd, but he's the shepherd of the sheep. And in a lot of ways, and in a perfect way, because he's Jesus, he uses sheep, and it is, it is the analogy that we need for ourselves. We are all sheep in need of a shepherd. Let's talk about sheep in the first century so we can really understand what he's saying. Sheep in the first century were a valuable commodity. It's one of the ways they earned their living. And so a thief, that's why a thief breaking in and stealing sheep is a big deal. It's your living. It's your livelihood. They have worth. But what do sheep require? They require constant overwatch. They're prone to wander. They spook easily. And, and sheep, I, I learned this week, um, actually have excellent peripheral vision, but they can't see directly in front of them, which seems like a problem, and it is a problem, okay? And so what happens is they fall into things a lot, okay? And they just follow each other. And this is a wonderful description of us. Church, this is a wonderful description of us. We are not worthless, but we are not exceptional, We're not worthless. We are not exceptional. We can't be Rambo in our lives. We can't stand up and be the singular person who delivers in everything. And so Jesus gives these words that he is the good shepherd, and these words are exceptional comfort because he says in his answer of how are we saved in his kingdom, it's by his performance, his qualifications as our shepherd. That's how we are saved. Jesus gathers us in. Back in verse 3, it says, uh, to the gatekeeper, he opens. Meaning, you're not the one standing before the gatekeeper trying to make a case for yourself. The good shepherd is the one who gets the gate open and leads us in. Entrance into Christ's kingdom is not a feat of strength. It's not a talent show. It's not a job review or a job interview. It's by his sacrifice, his will, his will his leading, his good, sufficient, perfect performance. That's how we are saved, by Christ. And so we look at the text. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Look at the word good. It means powerful, excellent, strong, sufficient, sound, ordered. We'll unpack this a little next week or more next week. I believe, church, and this is something new that the Lord is impressing on me in in my own walk is that one of the biggest obstacles to our spiritual growth, our spiritual health, is our belief that God certainly is powerful, but sometimes we don't believe that He is good. We don't believe He's generous. We don't believe that He loves us and is for us. We think that God, rather, or Christ, is stingy and difficult and disinterested. And I was reading this week in the Psalms and uh, David, who is on the run from Saul, a very awful time in his life, he writes in Psalm 34, "O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him." Jesus is the good shepherd, not just the shepherd who's begrudgingly bringing us in. He's good. And he's a shepherd. He does not neglect the sheep. I was reading an article this week about two shepherds who in modern times went to lunch in Turkey, and while they were at lunch, 400 sheep followed each other off a cliff, and they lost about $74,000 worth of sheep. That was an expensive lunch. Um, Hopefully they enjoyed it. Jesus doesn't take a break. Jesus doesn't take a break. Look at the rest of 11 down to 13. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, uh, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus puts his life, his resources, his everything on the line for his sheep. He stands in the gap. The comfort of this knowledge is extended in verses 14 through 16. Look at this. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. It's extended comfort because Jesus is not just picking willy-nilly. He knows his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep, not just in a superficial way, but in the same way that God the Father knows God the Son from eternity. In Ephesians 1, we can see a different perspective on this. This is verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, this is speaking of verse 16, Faith is not the work we do to enter. We have so little good inside of us that we cannot choose Christ. And so, what do we see here? Belief, our belief, is the result of Christ calling us to himself and marking us as his own. He knows us, he knows us. The only alternative to this, the only alternative to Christ choosing us is turning our salvation into works, and there's no reason for Jesus to stand so opposed to the Pharisees in this passage. Instead, he would say, let's change that up a little bit. (laughs) Your, your, Your formula is not quite right. Let me add a few things and change a few things, and then the formula for salvation is complete. Instead, he stands completely opposed to performance leading to salvation. He reiterates this again in verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus, this is what makes his death and resurrection so incredible. Jesus didn't die to impress us enough to choose to love him. It's not how it works. Jesus' perfection by the Father's standards of perfection ensures that we would be with him for eternity. Jesus is willingly offering a lavish gift of his own life to his sheep to secure their salvation. So as we complete the dyad here, Jesus is the gate and Jesus is the shepherd. And so think about the security of this salvation. (laughs) Jesus is the gatekeeper. He decides who goes in and who doesn't. He's also the one who, who gets the gatekeeper to open. He's both. And so those who are in Christ... We have a secure salvation, the work of Christ, what does it do? It dissolves our need to impress anyone to be saved or to be worth something. The work of Christ dissolves the notion that we need to perform or prove our worth or our worthiness. And so church, as we think about these things, when when our efforts at work don't pay off like we think they should have or we were promised they would, what then? When our relationships aren't making the other person happy or the other person's not making us happy, what then? When the thing you're putting your identity in lets you down, what then? When our efforts and our expectations let us down, what then? This is where the role of faith becomes clear, Christian. We must follow Jesus Christ by faith into every situation knowing he is the good shepherd. His performance counts. We must trust Jesus Christ by faith in every situation, believing that He is the Good Shepherd and His work is sufficient for our salvation. And that's what faith is it's a faith in the fact that His work is eternally sufficient and our work never is, it's always insufficient. And so this is what it means to follow Christ as our shepherd. It means to accept the knowledge of who he is, what he's done to save us, and applying that truth to the fact of who we are. We are sheep. We are needy, broken people. We have nothing really together at all. (laughs) That's who we are. And in this passage, what is Jesus doing? He's telling, he's comforting a man who's never seen before. He's comforting a man who's never, ever seen in his life before, and he's rebuking a group that that believes that performance of one's lifestyle by their standards is the way to salvation. It's what matters most. He's saying to both, no one can do it on their own, and that's okay, because that's how it's designed to be. He says, I am the good shepherd. Rely on me. I know my sheep. They know me. Listen to me. He says, I lay down my life for those who need it. I pick it back up again. Trust in me. I stand in the gap for my sheep. I willingly, in love, do that. And So follow me to the abundant life. Follow me to salvation. We're about to sing a song after the Lord's Supper, and I underlined it. Here, we're going to sing it later. Um, All I have is Christ. In the second verse, it says this, you looked upon my helpless estate and led me to the cross, and I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I have is grace. That's what this is talking about. We have nothing. We're in a helpless estate, and what does Christ do? He shows up He becomes and He is worthy. He gives His life for us and He calls us to follow and trust Him. For those of you this morning, if you are not a follower of Christ, maybe you're hearing these truths for the first time. You've heard them before. You're trying to understand them, unpack them, what they mean. Here's my encouragement this morning it's simple. If any of this sounds intriguing to you, if anything in your heart is is sparking on the truth that there is a person named Jesus who is worthy enough, who is perfect enough in his work to cover all of your insufficiencies, here's what I would say. Just follow after that. Don't choke that flame out. Follow after that. Talk to me. Talk to one of our elders. Learn about what this means. It's just the beginning, but if it interests you, don't give up on it. For those here this morning that are in Christ, we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder of the protection offered to us by Christ. It's a reminder of the cost of the price he willingly paid. And so Jesus Christ being the gate, no one enters by him, but by him. He's also the good shepherd, the only one worthy to enter. And so there is no level of greater security than that. And so when we eat the bread this morning, and we drink the juice of the wine, what are we doing? We're recognizing we are safe and secure in the hands of our Savior. Praise the Lord. So this morning, if you believe that's true, that you are a sheep in need of the good shepherd, and there's only one good shepherd, it is Jesus Christ. If you've made that confession, you've made that profession, you are welcomed here. This is where the flock eats. This is our trough so come and eat what is freely offered by our sufficient and good shepherd, Jesus Christ. For those of you who have not accepted these truths, or, or maybe you're in the, the way of the Pharisees, you are denying uh, uh, your need so that you don't need Jesus, but if you don't feel this morning that you need Jesus, it makes no sense to come and eat. So we'd ask that you would honestly respond in that way as well. Let's take a moment, just a moment, to pray quietly, get ourselves in a place Uh, where we are ready to take the Lord's Supper. And may we focus in on the worthiness of Christ in this moment. I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing. Father in heaven, thank you. that you are a God of unconditional promises. Thank you that there is a God who doesn't leave us guessing, who sent God the Son to earth to show us very clearly his will for our lives, to show us that it's not our performance that causes us To be saved. In fact, that's impossible, but even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for being a a God of unconditional promises. So, this morning, as we participate in this meal, this sign, along with baptism that you've given us, this sacrament, I pray that our hearts would be plunged deep into this idea of the loving sufficient, unconditional promises of God that are made by your will, that are made by your love, and that are clearly communicated to us in Scripture. Not only did you do it, you wanted us to know about it. And so, Lord, may this truly be a celebration of the Lord's Supper, a celebration of what you have done, a celebration that that we are who we are, and yet salvation is still offered to us, those who cannot do it themselves. So in our insufficiency and in your eternal uh, sufficiency, I pray that the Supper this morning is nourishment to our souls, it would be a unifying sacrament this morning to this church, and that we would be blessed by it because of who you are and what you have done for people like us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.